0: So last week I shared a few things with you. One uh, that I think is crucial is that Jesus is amazed at great faith. But alternatively, Jesus is amazed at a lack of faith. When Jesus is amazed at a lack of faith, that is not a good thing. And my call to us was that we would be a people of big faith. We even found that you cannot please God without big faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith... It is impossible to please Him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. We've got to believe that and that He does reward those who are are honestly and faithfully seeking Him. And I asked you a question uh, that just to, to identify where you are in this process within your own life. What are you dreaming for, praying for, believing for, hoping for, and having faith for. When the rubber meets the road, where are you in this process of being empowered and knowing that God is doing something in you, wants to do something through you, and you are looking to see God do incredible things around you? Uh, I want to ask uh, Christina Allen to come up. We talked a little bit after the service, and she shared with me some things that she's doing, and I asked her um, if if she would just share with us. So I want you just to hear from her and a little bit about what God's doing in her life.
1: Okay. Whoa. Hey there. Normally I'm not nervous to speak in front of people, but today, man, um, I think it's just because I feel like the Lord has done so much, not just recently, but I can look back over my entire life and see the Lord's faithfulness and I can see in huge ways and even the small ways that seem, well, ways that seemed really small then, but They've all added up to this moment. And looking back has been this incredible, like, whoa, this is, this is a big deal, and I've seen the work of the Lord. Um, so backstory: When I was in high school, um, I really started to pray, like, God, what is your will for my life? Like, what is your purpose? And I think that that when we begin between that age of middle school and high school of, like, who am I, like those kinds of questions, what is my purpose, what do you want from me? um, is a really critical kind of hinge point for a lot of people. And so I faithfully started praying like, Lord, I trust that you're going to reveal this to me. And I just really pray that you will. And so, um, one night after youth group, I was talking to the youth pastor and he comes up to me and he said, Hey, what do you like, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I was like, you're hilarious. That's funny. I have no idea. And, He said to me, have you ever thought about counseling and, like, being a therapist? And in that moment, God was, it just clicked. And it was like, that's it? And I felt that from the Lord, and I felt that calling on my life. And that is a calling that has never gone away. Um, And I hated high school, did terribly, but I made it into college. And so, and y'all, it was so bad that one of my friends actually said to me, I'm surprised you graduated college. Like, we didn't think you were going to make it through high school. (laughs) So... There you go. Um, Joke's on her because I ended up being on the dean's list. So, boom. Anyway. um, So, I got in. Once I got into my major, which was child and family studies. And um, I graduated with a bachelor's degree in child and family studies. So, family, marriage, child development. And I loved it. And so, after graduating, um, I decided to get married instead of going to grad school. And, And then I got a job working with teenagers teaching risk avoidance behaviors abstinence education and but when you talk to teenagers about abstinence education and all of you know these risk factors and everything, that brings up a lot of trauma and so every single day I was uh calling d c s making reports um of sexual abuse um and that's hard like what do you do with that especially whenever you're not really qualified like I could love them, but like you know, what do you say to that without being able to step into that long term. And so after a few years, I ended up getting pregnant and decided that, you know what, I'm going to be a stay-at-home mom because that's also something that was a deep desire of my heart. And so I left that job, which I loved, which was really hard. Um, And then I stayed home with our kids. And so through my own um, personal journey, I ended up starting my own counseling journey with with a therapist a little over two years ago. And let me just tell you, um, I walked in there, and after a few sessions, I was like, yeah, you know. Yeah, I, at one point, I thought I was going to be a counselor too. And don't say that to a counselor because they're trained to, like, see through all that and and then to call you out on it. And call me out on it, she did. And she looked at me, and she said, oh, we'll get there. I said, uh, yeah, no, no, we won't. And she was like, no, we'll get there. And I was like, "Um, no, we won't. Like, it's done. I'm not doing that. And she just said, okay. <sighs> okay, whatever, bye. Well, fast forward a few years later, the stirring begins again and again and again, and I cannot shake it. And I started just having, I have two friends that I pray with, and uh, I was just, you know, telling them about all this. And And what was really funny is, um, I went to my counselor. I hate the winter time. Like I'm pretty sure I get like seasonal depression. And I said to her, "So like I either need um, antidepressants or like a part time job because while I love staying home, I'm an extreme extrovert. And so and then she looked at me and she was like, "Well, well, how about counseling? And she was like, "What about applying to grad school? Oh, you're you're so not you're so precious. And so I was just kind of like, oh, okay. And so I ended up leaving, and I have a few friends that are therapists also, and I just called them, and I said, what does this look like practically? Like, am I just going to have to hear trauma stories all day, every day, because I'm just going to tell you now I can't do that? And she said something to me that was like, it it made me super happy and also really angry, to be perfectly honest, because she said, even if you specialize in trauma, only 25% of your caseload should be trauma caseload. And it made me mad because 100% of what I was doing with teenagers was trauma. And that felt um, it felt unfair to me. It felt mostly unfair to them because it's like you can't rip off this scab and then slap a Band-Aid on it and be like, good luck there, buddy. Welp, see you next year. And that just doesn't seem fair. And so when she said that, I also had this, oh, crap moment because I was like, well, now you got to show up, you know. Like now you have to go do the thing. And so – I was talking to my friend, and and she's my prayer partner, and and I said to her, I don't think I can do this. Like, I just don't think that I can do this. And she looked at me, or, well, she didn't look at me because we were on the phone, but you get it. And, but she said to me, Christina, you cannot do it. And, you know, and just kind of live the life that you're living. And she said, or you can do it, and you can have peace. And she said, but you can't have both. Ooh, okay, well, and I was like, all right, well, I got to go, <laughs> so, um, but that stuck with me, like, I can't, if the Lord has told me what to do, and I justify running from him, go I'll also swim in Soddy Lake, I don't want to get swallowed by a big fish, like, I know how that story ended, right, like, I don't want to do that, and so, I mean, we know about the catfish, right, so, um, but, And then I, but the thing is, every time, every time from that point on that I talked about not doing it, this is what happened. I got really like, man, I had this moment with the Lord over and over and over again where I just thought, I'm going to die one day. And on my deathbed, I know that if I don't do this, I'm going to look back with the utmost regret, and I'm going to be really disappointed And I know that I'm going to have to tell God I'm sorry. And so the thing is, and, like, Mark and Deidre have actually both talked to me separate times. And one of the things that they've talked about is, like, you know, you get a choice. Like, you get to choose. You get to choose if you, you know, no matter where you are in life, if you have air in your lungs, if you want to go change your career and that's what you feel like the Lord's calling you to, go do that. Like, you get to choose that. And so... Um, I started the process in the fall of applying to grad school, and um, and I will officially start uh, or August nineteenth of this year, and I'll graduate when I'm forty-one. And yay! Um, and I jokingly, when they were like, "Go around and introduce yourself," I was like, "I'm Christina, but you can call me Mamaw, um, because <laughs> they're all like in their twenties. But the thing is, I was also had coffee with a friend one morning. And she's starting this uh, women's ministry, which is an incredible ministry that she's starting. And, of course, you know, she has all of these fears, too. And, and as we were talking, she has this way of, like, when she looks at you, it's like she's looking into your soul. And she was like, you know, like, have you ever thought about it? Like, when you die, she was like, Do you, she was like, don't you just want to die emptied out? Like, that you have nothing left to give for the Lord because you've been giving it your whole life. She was like, isn't that such a great thought to just die so emptied out for the Lord? Like, you gave it your all. And I was like, yeah. And so, you know, it's funny because today, spoiler alert, Mark's going to be talking about being empty. And I thought about that, like, how we can eat, like, we have the choice. We can die empty and feeling like, man, I missed it. Or we can die emptied out where you have just given. And it doesn't always look easy. Let me just tell you, spoiler, spoiler alert number two, the enemy sees that. And my goodness, it has been brutal. He's used my kids. And my son has Jesus in his heart. My friend, um, my prayer partner said to me one time, her daughter has Jesus in her heart. But my goodness, it's like Satan adds her by the ponytail. And... And that's what it's been. He's, he will use everything against you. But also, let me tell you, there's a scripture in the Old Testament where David is going to battle. And he says to God, do you want me to go like this direction? And God says to him, I want you to walk around the back. And he said, and just wait by the, I think it's poplar trees. Yeah, wait by the, at the foot of the poplar trees. And he says, and then when you hear this rush like a mighty army going through the tops of the trees, you will know that the army of God has gone before you. And I swear, y'all, like there have been moments where it's it's almost as if the spiritual warfare is like I can almost see it. It's so bad. But I can also tell you that every single time. The same God who sent that army before him through those poplar trees is moving through my home. He's moving through our children. He's moving through our community. And he is there, and he has gone before me. And that is the thing that I have to rest in because wrestling with it isn't, I mean, I think it's fine to wrestle with things as long as the outcome is that it strengthens your faith because you trust him. And I'm trusting the Lord. Go, we have to put our kids in daycare and that's fine, like, and the Lord has opened up doors for that, like, the money that we need, my husband's in school right now, too, and he'll be done in March, we're starting our kids in daycare in August, and, like, talk about budgeting, but let me also just tell you, side note, our tax return was the exact amount of money that we needed from August till March till he gets his pay raise, yeah, so it's one of those things where it's like, I, it's almost like I don't even have opportunity to worry in those kinds of ways because God's already there, he's already showed up. Do I know it's going to be hard? Absolutely, and I'm not an idiot to think, "Oh, this is going to be so easy and so fun." Um, I know it's going to be hard, but I think too the thing that the Lord has shown me over and over again is His faithfulness, and that He is there. And um, I'll tell you this really quickly. I mean, I could talk all day, but um, but I went to this uh, welcome dinner. I think it was last week, and it was so cool because the the guy the professor that got up to speak, he read Isaiah 61 when it talks about, um, you know, we are called to release from, from, you know, the prisoners and release people from captivity and, like, be there for the poor, and he was like, that's poor in spirit, that's poor, like, in lots of areas, and I wrote about that in my essay because I believe that, and then, um, and then the whole time I was there, the Lord just continually just confirmed that this is where you're supposed to be. And this is what you're supposed to be doing. And one of the things that he said that really stuck out to me, and I would encourage this with all of you today, no matter where you are in life, if you're a student in elementary school, if you're a middle school, high school, no matter what your career is as an adult, every single one of us, we get a choice to live intentionally for the Lord. And if that's, you know... Going, if you're at Walmart and you see the guy or the woman who's like putting in all the shopping carts, say thank you to them. Let go see people and let people know that they're like, let them know that they are seen because God sees them. Elroy, the God who sees, sees them. And it doesn't matter what your job is or what your career is, but God calls all of us to love others and love them well. And for me, that looks like going to grad school being a therapist, but for you it may be different. But I would just encourage you to go do, like, live intentional and live with such faith that people look at you and they see the difference because the Holy Spirit is in you. And then I'll tell you this last thing, too. Um, At that meeting, he said he made some, I don't remember how he said it, but basically he said, you know, becoming a therapist, there are people that God is already lining them up to sit in your chair. And just to be like, God, like, God is so much bigger. So instead of boxing him in, like, burn that box and just trust him because he's already shown up. We have to show up, too. All right. Thank you.
0: I wanted her to share that because... You know, it's significant when God begins to move within you to tell you, I have something for you. And I have found that it is never easy. God-sized tasks are often God-sized risks and take God-sized commitments. And so um, we're, let's be praying for them and uh, let's continue to pray for Christina and look forward to what God is going to do with them. Kidmo, you can go. And if you're a guest and you have a second through fifth grader, you're, you're more than welcome to walk out and see where they're headed, just to uh, let them um, experience their own time of teaching, small group, and games, things that they do back there, and you can pick them up when we're done in here. So I debated when we first started this series, well, before we do that, before I jump into this, let's do this. Stand up. Go ahead, stand up. Yeah, I'm going to let you stand up for a minute. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to somebody and say, you are, you are empowered. Not to me, to someone. Turn to someone, say, You are empowered. All right. Make sure you're saying it to someone and not just hearing it yourself. All right. Okay, let's do 25 jumping jacks, and we'll sit back down. Okay, you can have a seat. Can I just tell you that one of the, one of the problems with Christianity in 2019 is that we are incredible skeptics. We are skeptical because we have seen so much hypocrisy in ourselves, in the world. We're skeptics because we look out and we're told one thing and then something else happens. We're skeptics because we watch something on the news and we question, why are they saying this? Is this even true? We're skeptics because many of us, and especially in the South, have trusted in an organization of doing church More so than we have trusted in God doing something supernatural in us. We've become skeptical. One of my great challenges as a pastor is not to let skepticism overrule what God has said. And one of the ways that I believe we can address this is we have to believe that God's promises are true. Bottom line. If God says something, we have to believe it. And God says, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are empowered by the Holy Spirit. So I want you to believe that. I want you to say it to yourself. I want you to believe that it's true. But I want you to do more than just believe it. I want you to live as if God is, His very power is within you and wants to do something. And it is going to at times lead to spiritual warfare. And it is going to at times lead to to stepping out in faith in ways that are uncomfortable. It is going to at times mean someone that you care about is not going to validate what you believe God is saying. And you're going to have to choose, who do I please, God or them? Those things do happen. But I debated on starting this series out, how should we start? Should we start talking about being empowered and having big faith? Or should we start where a lot of people are today, and that is at a place of feeling empty? Now, I don't know about you, but I'm guessing that a large number of people in this room or that are listening online right now, I'm guessing a large number of people struggle with feeling at times empty. Would you say that's probably true? Brokenness is a part of being a human. It's a part of even being a follower of Jesus that constantly affects us, and we have the opportunity to change the conversation, whether to be empty or whether to be something more. A couple of weeks ago, Gallup released a new poll. This is a significant poll. It's called their Global Emotions Poll, telling us how we feel, what's going on within our heads and within our hearts. They interviewed over 150,000 people in 140 countries, and a third of the people worldwide said that 31%, or excuse me, 35%. No, nope, I'm, I'm missing my... Uh, 35% said they were stressed. 39% polled said that they worried the day before the survey. Now, I don't know about you, Jesus said not to worry. Sometimes I have a hard time with that. Do you ever worry? Is anybody in this room ever worry? Is anybody worried about anything right now? Yeah, a few of you, a couple, yeah. Uh, worry is is very real. Worldwide, 35 per- 39% said yesterday I was worried. 35 said I was stressed. It's a just a part of the reality of the world in which we live in. The reason that that poll is significant is not simply because 35% they were stressed because on, on some level we can say well that's not too bad. <laughs> I mean, just a little over a third of the people in the world are stressed that, you know, two-thirds were not. But the reality is this is in sharp contrast to previous polls in which they've done in that the level of stress, discouragement, and sadness is in a significant incline among people around the world. Around the world. The CDC recently released a study saying that among people ages 15 to 34, the second leading cause of death is suicide. And in the last year and a half, that number is spiking significantly. In other words, we are trending to a place of sadness, anger, and emptiness. We are not trending worldwide to a place of being empowered, whole and joyful now that's a problem for us because there are a lot of christians that are involved in these polls and if we were to wipe out everybody who is not a christian and we were to ask the very same questions the reality is the results would probably not be that different and yet we talk about living a life of joy Now, we can look at this in two different ways. I I have over my life looked at this in two different ways. One is, I'm just a failure. Does anybody else approach uh, life like that? I just, wow, that's not good. I'm failing. And unfortunately, you are trained in a culture to respond in exactly that way. It's my fault, and I'm just a bad person. I'm just not good enough. God's not happy with me. In fact, God's probably mad at me about this. The problem is, is that is not the way God ever presents himself to us in Scripture. But there's something in us that responds that way. The second way to respond is to recognize this is going on. Now what do we do about it? What are we going to do about this? And for, for, for me, deciding to do this sermon today was a partly because we needed to talk about having big faith and we needed to look at the promises of what god was saying about trusting him and taking risks and 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 going all out with wherever he leads us knowing that the holy spirit is empowering us part of it is also that there's probably no other demographic that i know of that feels more empty than mothers and part of it is exactly what christina mentioned there's a part of being empty and there's a part of emptying yourself out. I know of no other group that more willingly empties themselves out for others other than mothers. I'm, I, I, they regularly give of themselves. They regularly do not take care of their own needs because they're taking care of the kids' needs. And that's something that is inwardly drawn within them. That's one of the ways God has created women to be the compassion that men often are not. Amen? Don't say amen. Just kidding. That was a setup. <laughs> That was a setup, yeah, because all the women were about to say, amen, brother, preach it. All the men were about to leave early. So. so what about when you feel empty? Let me say this first to start off. If you're one of those people that internalizes that as I'm a failure, I want you to understand there are places that you are going to feel empty and you are going to feel incredibly anxious and you are going to feel like you're not sure you can get through this. Do you know why I know that is true? It is not my own experience, while I have experienced this, but it is Jesus' experience. This is Jesus' experience. Let's read that together in Matthew chapter 26, beginning with verse 36. This is just before Jesus is arrested. Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and I want you to listen for the emotive words here, what's Jesus going through as he's praying, knowing what's coming. Verse 36, Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane and he said to his disciples sit here while I go over there and pray and taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee he began to be sorrowful and troubled then he said to them my soul is very sorrowful even to death this is Jesus the hope of the world the Messiah the Savior the Son of God The one in which God spoke and the Son of God created. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell on his face. In other words, the trauma he's going through in this moment, the feeling of anxiety and stress, the feeling is so overwhelming, he literally falls to his face on the ground. This feeling is so overwhelming. Do you ever find yourself in a place where you feel that you yourself may just fall on your face on the ground? Things are are not good. I, I I don't have the energy to do this. We have challenges that have just come up and we couldn't even meet the challenges we had before these challenges came up. If you're a young parent, this is your daily life, right? Right. As soon as you get the parenting under your thumb for the kids, whatever age they're at, then they grow into a new season. And it's like all new challenges, isn't it? It's like, I just got this licked. Now what am I going to do? You know, it's the way it is for all of childhood. Whenever whenever Jake was first born, we were in the hospital. And at first, you know, first time you hold your baby, you're like, oh, hope I don't drop him. You know, I won't tell you if we did or not, but um, (laughs) I hope I'm not going to drop him. And then after a couple of days, Deidre had a C-section for our kids, and so we were there longer than maybe some of you were in the hospital. After a few days, it's like, I got this. This is easy. You know, whenever we'd get tired, we'd, we'd hit the button. The button's a wonderful thing, and they don't let you take it home with you. But we'd hit the button. Could you come get Jake and take him to the nursery? We're a little tired right now, right? And then came that fateful day in which the nurse came in and said, guess what? It's time for you to go home. It's like... <laughs> what? (laughs) Like you're coming with us, right? You know, many parents know the feeling of strapping that baby in the car seat for the first time. And you're pretty sure on your way home, even though you've driven that route, maybe a hundred times that every car is out for you, right? (laughs) This is within the first week, right? It only gets worse. (laughs) And I only know through high school, but I really don't know many other people that a significant demographic of the world often feels empty. And it is not because you're not able. You're very able. It's not because you're not confident. You're very confident. It's not because you don't love, because you love greater than the rest of us. But I do want to talk about what do we do when we feel empty. You know, a sermon like last week can be frustrating when you start talking about having big faith, but you feel like you have nothing you feel like you've got nothing to offer. Maybe you've been through failure after failure after failure. Maybe you've tried for things and they didn't work out. Maybe worse, you felt God telling you to do something and you tried to do it and you couldn't, but you watched somebody else do it beautifully and seems seemingly effortlessly, and and now you just question your ability. For parents, maybe it is a parenting time within your family. It's been interesting for us. There's the debate often in parenting between you know nature and nurture or environment and you know how does a child become who they are and so different people have written books and and published studies and and proposed different things it's all environment they're just a blank slate and it's all environment whatever you Whatever environment you provide for them, if they turn out in a certain way, it's because of the environment in which you created. Others would say, "No, they're born with it. You know, they're just they're born like this." I mean, like they literally have the seed of Satan in them. I didn't do this to them. I treated them well. You know, the only thing TV they watched were Veggie Tales. They never watched anything else until they were 19 years old and moved out. You know, I it wasn't me. It wasn't my environment. But the truth is, what I've seen in our own kids is an amazing thing in which they've all grown up in a very similar environment, and yes, they're all very different from each other. The very fact that each of your kids will also be very different from each other, it is a challenge, isn't it? It's a challenge. The fact that we feel empty, we should know that we are in good company. Because at times, even the Son of God was so sorrowful unto death that He fell on His face, being just pushed there by the stress and anxiety of this moment he fell on his face and he prayed saying my father if it is possible let this cup pass from me nevertheless not as i will but as you will maybe some of you stepped out in faith and now you feel empty this is exactly what jesus is going through because god sent him here for a purpose He told the disciples about His purpose. They never truly understood it until it happened. But He went for that purpose. And even though He's here, He's in a moment of fulfilling. He's right on the edge of fulfilling the whole purpose for which He had come into the form of a man. He's right here, and it's happening. And it is in this moment that He is overcome by this sorrowful feeling even to death let me just encourage you in this i've got two stories i want to share with you and then we're gonna we're gonna finish but i I want to start and and just kind of giving you a baseline of foundation number one i want you to know before you leave here today that emptiness is an invitation to grow emptiness is not failure emptiness is an invitation to grow If you are here today feeling empty in whatever place, or you have felt empty, maybe you don't now, or you are feeling great, and then a moment of emptiness is going to come upon you at some point, I want you to know emptiness is always an invitation to grow. Always, always, always. There is not a situation in which your emptiness is not an invitation to grow. Many times the way that we deal with the frustrating, overwhelming things within our lives is not to change them, it's simply to change the way we see them. When we change the way we see them, it changes our whole perspective of them. Perspective of them, and and in reality, to a degree, this not in every situation, but mostly, perspective perception is reality. The way you view something is reality. You're on your way to to, to the airport. We're we're going to be traveling here in a. In a couple of weeks, Jake's graduating, we're going to go on a trip up to New England, we're going to be flying, uh, it's going to be great fun for everyone, right? Because airports are a blast, they're a lot of fun. <laughs> you ever miss, missed a connecting flight? You got to be somewhere, you got to get there, you got to get on time, maybe you've been gone, you've been on a trip and you know you're just ready to get home and you go and you get in the, you're getting through your connecting flight and you get there late and you don't make it? It's bad, right? <sighs> I sit here in the airport. I sleep in the airport. Maybe I'll make some of these funny videos that'll go viral me in the airport. I don't know. And it's bad, 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 right? Until something comes over the news and the plane you're supposed to be on goes down. Not bad anymore, is it? In fact, that's the best thing that's ever happened to you in your entire life. What's changed you from the worst thing that could possibly be happening in this moment to the best thing that's ever happened to you in your entire life? It's your perspective. And the plane going down. But it's your perspective. Right? <laughs> It's amazing when we change our perspective, the way that we look at things, how our realities change. Now, this is not a lesson in the power of positive thinking. The power of positive thinking is very much an illusion to most people who claim that it is great power. The, the, The power is seeing what is God doing within this moment. Our invitation to grow is to see what God is doing. Here's some first steps if you're struggling with emptiness before we get into the two stories. Number one, you do have to distinguish between fact and feeling. You can feel something that is not rooted in fact. Everything's falling apart. I mean, everything's falling apart. I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know how we're going to make it. I I mean, this is not good. If God doesn't intervene here, you know, what are we going to do? Well, just pull into Walmart and get another bag of diapers. You forgot your diapers. Get another bag of diapers. It's not that bad. No, it's bad. I mean, it's bad, right? Separate fact from feeling because there are times that your body will tell you that things are bad when they are not. Again, perspective is such a big part of this and the reality that you need to look at your circumstances through the power of God within you, not through your circumstances as if you are just at the mercy of all of these things with no one on your side distinguish between fact and feeling the second thing is surround yourself with encouragers in your faith i grew up hearing all the time my parents said it to me a lot trying to encourage who i would hang out with birds of a feather what flock together. together you heard it, your parents said it to you too right you probably said it to your parents or your kids birds of a feather flock together in another way we would say that is this you are headed in the direction of the people that you are around you're going to end up where they are. If you're hanging out with people and you don't want to be where they are, it's time to hang out with a different group of people. Now this is different from our call to reach out to people within our communities and within our worlds we are to reach out and to love all and to draw them to Christ and so we are to have relationships with people that we aren't going to hang out with all the time but we have loving intentional relationships with people so that they can know Christ that is true however there is a circle of friends that are your closest friends and wherever they are that's where you're going to go if you're the person who's trying to rescue your entire friend group the likelihood that you're going to rescue them is far less than the likelihood that they're going to pull you to where they are. Surround yourself with encouragers in your faith. Sometimes we're surrounded with people that they tell us all the things we're doing wrong and all the way things can go wrong. And I will tell you, they will be miserable friends for your life. Surround yourself with people that will encourage you in your faith. And I say in your faith, because there are some people who are great encouragers that are not followers of Jesus. For us, if we're going to fill this empty void that's within us, it is always, Jesus has to be a part of that. Now, have those friends. Hang out with those friends. I have those friends. I hang out with those friends. They are great friends to hang out with. However, make sure that you're surrounding with your closest group of people, people that will encourage you in your faith. It's incredible what the input of those around you will do for you. I meet with some pastors we meet weekly, and Tracy meets with us. Um, she has uh, kind of brought me into this group. And I will tell you, we've, I don't know how long I've been coming out of this group, several months. And it is life-giving for me. And there are times that just the feedback that, we, that I get from good, solid you know, brothers and sisters in Christ who are interested in my faith and interested in seeing the world as God sees the world, who just changes my perspective, and something that sounds bad all of a sudden is not bad. It's amazing when we surround ourselves with the right people. Third thing is this. Remember God's promises. If we don't believe God's promises are coming true, do we believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do we believe that Jesus died on the cross? Do we believe that Jesus walked out of the tomb? Do we believe that we will one day stand but with Him in heaven? Because if we don't believe His promises, why in the world do we believe any of the other things? Now, believing his promises is wrapped up into another spiritual discipline, and that is, do you even know what his promises are? See, a lot of people, you, you know, you'll know, you have somebody who will come up and, and you'll be like, oh, things are bad, things are bad, things are bad. I just feel so empty, and I don't know what to do, and I don't know where to go, and I don't know what the right answer is. And they just bring up some scripture, and you're like, oh, that was just perfect. That, how did you do that? That was just perfect. Well, I will tell you, if you're going to follow Jesus into this path, you're going to have to do that for yourself on a regular basis. Know His promises so that they come to you. That is one of the ways I've shared before the Holy Spirit speaks to me in prayer is through Scripture. He just brings a Scripture, and it's just clear. It's like, I get it. I know. You've already said how this is going to work out. You've already said how I should respond to this. Remember God's promises. A very popular devotional book came out. I, I think it's called God's Promises or something like that, or God's Promise Book, or something like that. You know, get it. Some of the most encouraging passages in scripture. You could probably find it on U version for crying out loud. Soak into God's promises and remember them. And a fourth thing, just as a baseline foundation for understanding where your emptiness is, and, and the reason I say it this way is, one, is it possible that you're feeling empty, but you're not? Things feel bad, but they're not. Things are falling apart, but they're not. Is it possible you're with people that are constantly keeping your mind down deep, where you're, everything's falling apart, everything's bad, and you need to change that, and you need some people pouring some positive you know, understanding what it means to follow Jesus, what Jesus wants to do, and reminding you of those promises. But also we have to come confidently to Christ because in him lies all victory. We have to come to Christ. And I I, I carefully say this, but this is true, and this is really the bottom line. Jesus is the answer for our emptiness. Now I say that hesitantly because we hear these little anecdotes, you know, that seem really not helpful. But this is something we have to spend some time on because this is true. This is real. This is right. Come confidently to Christ. In Him lies all victory. In Hebrews chapter 4, this is Jesus talking, or or this is not Jesus talking. This is Paul talking. But this is uh, Jesus, our great high priest. And verse 14 says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. So he gets it when you're not having a good day or a good season or a good year or a good decade. He gets it. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He is there to help. But we have to come confidently, believing, trusting, knowing that what God wants is best for us, and He wants to be active within our life. I began with simply this. Emptiness is an invitation to grow. I want to to kind of use interchangeably the words emptiness and weakness because at times our emptiness, we just feel weak, powerless. Emptiness or weakness is an invitation to be strengthened by Jesus. It is an invitation we can deny or we can accept. We read in John chapter four, a familiar story. And I want you, we're not going to, to spend a lot of time in this story because we've gone over it a few times in the last few months. But I do want you again to see what Jesus is promising. This is Jesus coming in. There's a woman at, the, at a well in Samaria. And uh, anyway, let's just read the story. Verse seven, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you would Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, or me in that case, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Which is the prayer of every empty person, by the way. It's the prayer of every empty person. I see no hope. I see no way out. I see no way of this getting better. I see no way that God is doing anything. In fact, if anything, I feel God has abandoned me. You have no bucket in which to dip. How, am I, how are you going to get it to give to me? I see no bucket in my life in order to get this living water. How am I going to be filled? See, we see the, the world just like she does at times. I don't see it. I don't understand it. I don't know how this can happen. I don't know how this is going to work. All I know is what I can see. And in that, again, is a perspective that can be changed. Give me a drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. A woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us his well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, this is where I want you to listen, I just want you to see and and just internalize. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Talking about the, the water that she was drawing from the well. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. It's an invitation for her. See, We don't often accept the invitation to follow Jesus until we feel like we've given up on all the other paths we've tried. Because Jesus is not the easiest one. He's not the easiest path. Our own efforts are always an easier path because guess who's in control of those paths? Us. I don't have to trust in him. I don't have to believe in someone that isn't sitting right next to me. I believe in me, I believe in my efforts. Some of us, that's why we work so hard to be so competent in so many areas of our life because we ultimately don't want to have to trust in anything else other than us. This is one of the reasons that Scripture says it's so hard for a person who is wealthy to know Christ because they can rely on their wealth. You can get by in this world okay with a lot of money, right? If you're not sure about that, well, I'd, you know, I'd be up for trying. If you would like to give me some of that wealth of money, I'll do a study. I'll blog about it. Um, and let you know how it goes. But you can live a lot easier with wealth and without Jesus. Which is why so many people trust in their wealth and not in Jesus. I don't need him. I mean, what do I need him for? Our needs are taken care of. I have a house. I have food. I have a good job. I have retirement. I mean, I'm pretty much taken care of. I've already bought my... My burial plots, you know, if we have to have, you know, move into an assisted living center, we can afford the nicest one in our community. And, you know, why do I need Jesus? I'm pretty much set. But the thing money can't do is fill emptiness. Emptiness is still there, and no matter what we spend it on, it will not fill it. That's why some of us are trying to get the best job possible to make the most money we can possibly make, and the the truth is, is that is more likely going to lead you to a place of emptiness than a place of being full. This is, this is part of the, the terrible travesty of the way that we, wor- we work in this world. That wealth somehow makes us full. It doesn't. More times than not, wealth leads to emptiness. All of a sudden your relationships are different with people, right? Because now you have, and if they don't, maybe you'll give them some of yours. And now you question, do they love me for me or do they love me for what I might give them? See, there's an emptiness that happens in that reality in which most of us would say, you know what? I would be okay with struggling with the temptation of wealth. I would be okay with it. I would like to at least experience it within my life. But it's a perspective change again. Now, does that mean that those who are wealthy can't follow Jesus? I, you know, if you go back and you understand the history of the movement of Jesus, Jesus was able to travel from town to town, and his disciples were able to travel from town to town because very wealthy people were there helping just to, to meet their needs. You don't think he built a house and then moved on to another place, right? He was a carpenter. They didn't have to go buy a boat every time they went to a new place in order to go you know, catch some fish and sell it in the market so they have some money. They had people that were generously giving to them. So to say that those who are wealthy can't know Jesus is not true, I would just say it is much more rare. It is much more rare emptiness is an invitation to be strengthened by Jesus emptiness is an invitation to fill your life with something better the water that i will give him will become that i will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life in second peter chapter 1 i want us just to spend some time here just for a minute and chat if you'll just just stay right on the scripture slide because we're going to be looking at some of these words. These words are important. This is Second Peter chapter 1 beginning with verse 3. I want you to, to those first three words, his what? Okay, that was weak. Uh, we're empowered here. Remember, you just told each other you were empowered. All right, let's say it again. His what? Okay, now let's say it like we believe it. His what? Okay. Has granted to who? Who do you think us is? You and me. Okay, let's put it all together. Listen, I know. It's like you're back in first grade, isn't it? It's wonderful. It's why you got up this morning to come to journey. Let's say it together again. His divine power has granted to who? Us. What? Us. All things. Is this trustworthy? Is this trustworthy? Some of us need to just do nothing, less, nothing else the rest of this week but to think on this verse. Because there's a place that you have to come where you trust that what God says He's going to do, He's going to do. What God says is, is, and what God's able to do, God is able to do even through us when we know all our own weaknesses. For some of us, this is where we need to stop and this is where we need to stay. However, there's too much good stuff in the next few verses to do that. Right now, we're we'll just keep going. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to What? I mean, that's quite a bit, I think. I mean, that's a lot of stuff. Life, big, it's a big covering. And godliness, through. and I The apostles, even though they were called dumb Galileans, spoke sometimes with a lot more thought than we do today. When you see the word through, that matters something. When you see the word for, that matters. When you see the word therefore, that matters. Okay, when you see those words, that means, oh, I need to pay attention to what he's saying. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. We have a knowledge of him. Now, our knowledge comes in a couple of places. Our knowledge comes primarily through Scripture. But then as you get to know him and you begin to see and feel and understand the Holy Spirit working within you, that part of the role of the Holy Spirit is to increase your knowledge of him beyond what just the scriptures say. In other words, you begin to understand Jesus to a degree that you can't understand just by academically studying his word. So one of the ways that you receive this divine power is through knowledge of him. This divine power that he's granted us is the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. In other words, you say your name. Everybody say your name. All right. That was. Yeah, we're going to get it. We're going to get it. I know it's Mother's Day. You thought you were going to come. and We're going to hand out flowers and go home and it was going to be a high five day. That's all we're going to do today. I know. But I need you to get this. Because a good part of our world lives in this place of emptiness. And so as we look at this, the knowledge of Him who called us to whose glory and excellence? You are called to the glory and excellence of Christ. You are. He's not saying, I'm going to give you, you know, kind of an okay one. I'm going to give you a little bit of glory. I'm going to give you kind of the discount version. He says, I'm giving you mine. Mine. And Jesus himself said even his glory only came from the Father, didn't come from himself, which is an interesting study in the Trinity one day. We're not into that today. Verse 4 By which, again, okay, that's important, he has granted us, granted to us his precious and very great promises. So that, why has he done that? Through them, you may become partakers of the divine nature. In other words, let's pull it all together. You have the divine nature and you are receiving the divine nature because you see the promises in which he has given you. This is why we've got to know God's promises. This is why we've got to live in God's promises and why we can't let our feelings overcome the facts. And for a follower of Jesus, the facts are God's promises. by which he has granted us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. You remember we talked about that? The garden, everything was perfect. We were made to be like God in his image. Sin entered in. We were corrupted, but we were supposed to be incorruptible. God came in, and he has been working from that moment on to bring us to the place where we are no longer corrupted For this very reason make every effort to sup- supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness fa- excuse me steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love This is where this should push you that whole list of words we just read this is where this should push you For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind. In other words, you will never see the world as it is. having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to conform to your calling and election. For if if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I think I jumped way ahead, didn't I? I did, didn't I, Chad? All right, well, that's good because I'm about out of time. Let me give you a few things we fill up with. The other story I wanted to share with you was Paul's story of the throne in the flesh. And I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to read it, but I just wanna, do want to hit that. We fill up with a, with a number of things. We fill up with God's Word. We fill up with God's presence, not just His Word. We fill up with God's confidence. We fill up with God's purpose. We fill up at times by taking a Sabbath and creating margin in our lives so that we're not exhausted all the time. We fill up by trusting God's work, not just our own work. The reason I wanted to share with you Paul's story is because Paul talks much about his own weakness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we're not going to read it, but let me just give you the highlights verse 5 he says on my own behalf i will not boast except out of my weaknesses why in the world would you be excited about your weaknesses in verse 7 he says a thorn was given to me in the flesh a messenger of satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited in other words there was a problem a messenger of satan because i was getting too big in my own head this was there to teach me something Three times he pleaded with the Lord, but this is God's response to him. And he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in what? Strength. All right? Because that's the way the whole world works. Be strong. But God says, my strength is made perfect in weakness. If you feel weak, and if you feel empty, let me just tell you something. You are in a very beautiful place in which God could perfect His power within you. If you feel strong and in need of nothing, you are in a very dangerous place because you may not experience the power of God because you're trusting in your own. If you feel weak, look forward to God's power. See, this is a weird part about the gospel, and this is why the world looks at us, and they don't quite get us. That's why they want to eliminate us down into just some you know, Ten Commandments who gets in heaven and who doesn't get in heaven. But we never we get really dig deep into scripture, what we find is that God is doing something so opposite of the human condition that most people find themselves shackled to. That until we begin looking for Jesus and we begin to see how he works within our lives, we don't truly understand how anything's going to get better. But when we begin to understand, I see I see by reading Paul what I need to do. I need to stop trying to be so strong on my own. And it is in my weakness that I will find the power of God within me. Now, that does not mean that you need to go around saying how weak you are. Because there's another problem we have in our culture, and that is the weakest person wins. Do You ever see that? It's like you know social media. Oh, you think you have it bad? Let me tell you how bad I've got it. We're like a, a people that believe somehow the greatest calling of life is to be some kind of a martyr. Uh, it drives me nuts. We were not given a spirit of being a martyr unless someone takes your life in the true sense of a martyr. We are not meant for people to look at us and go, oh, look at poor Mark. Look how hard he has it. How in the world can we talk about the power of Jesus Christ if the message coming out of our mouths or through our fingertips is one that says, oh, look at poor me, how hard I have it. See, we have a spirit of victory. We have a spirit of power. We have a spirit of God working within us. We literally have the Holy Spirit, one of the the three persons of the Trinity, living with inside us. Let us never go out and say, oh, look at how hard I have it. Yeah, some, some of you have it hard. Does that mean God's unhappy with you? Does that mean God's mad at you? Does that mean you failed? Somehow you weren't good enough? You know, if I had gone, you know, I went to church 50 weeks last year. If I had gone 52 weeks, maybe I wouldn't have it so hard. The reality is, is you may be in a place of weakness right now because God placed you there so that you can experience something better. It is an invitation for growth. So if you feel weak, if you feel empty, remember the same words in which Paul received as he prayed to be released from this hardship that he was experiencing. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, important word, right? Right? I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now this is not a play of words. This is not just a silly phrase. This is not confusing. You are strong in the Lord because Jesus is always the answer for weakness. Jesus is always the answer for weakness. Let me just encourage you into one practice that I have found helps me in in times because I certainly am one who, at times, often feels empty and weak. See, a lot of people make assumptions about pastors, that pastors just have it together. And sometimes they just think, you know, a pastor is so full of himself that he never feels weak. That's not the experience of any pastor I know. I I won't say any, but the vast majority, that is not the experience of pastors. There is a regular experience of weakness and emptiness. There's one practice that has helped me. I blogged on this a few weeks ago. It's called contemplative prayer. And contemplative prayer is when you simply sit in the presence of God, not expecting only to speak to God, but you also expect to receive something from God. And I'm not saying that I'm sitting there and then all of a sudden Jesus speaks audibly to me. That's not what my experience is. But Scripture tells us that we are to pray without ceasing, that we are to rejoice always. And sometimes when we read those things, we think, how can I do that? And the reality is we can pray without ceasing. We can rejoice always. We can be thankful in all things, Scripture also tells us contemplative prayer is a process of constantly being in prayer with God throughout your day. It means as you 're reading scripture you're, you're you're doing that in god's presence. It means when you 're at work, and I recognize like if you're aware if you're a surgeon, you know please don't be trying to memorize a piece of scripture, you know, do your job as a surgeon right so I, but you can be in a place where you're constantly talking to God, speaking to God, giving thanks to God, rejoicing, praising God, constantly talking and also constantly listening. Contemplative prayer is not a new practice. It's not some weird mystical practice. It is a very old practice that the disciples followed, that the early Christians followed, the early Christian fathers and and uh, those leaders of our faith that kind of created the church in the beginning. This is what they practiced. When they talked about pray without ceasing, contemplative prayer is one of the things that they talk about. There is a whole group of theologians called the contemplatives. But this is the practice of constantly being in the presence of God and listening to God, talking to God. It doesn't have to be formal, and it doesn't have to be like, I've got to say meaningful things. You know, like my my mom, we went to a wedding last night. We were eating. She said, I knew you would never be able to be invited to the White House based on my table manners, right? Did you ever have moms like that? (laughs) Happy Mother's Day to me, right? Yeah, we knew you would never make it to the White House. (laughs) Well, I mean, but tipped you off on that but uh, you know sometimes we think that we have to talk to god like we would if we got invited to the white house or to our favorite to talk to our favorite sports hero for the first time or someone we've looked up to and we would stammer for our words like i don't want to look like an idiot in front of you what do i say contemplative prayer is not about having formalized prayers it's about simply being in his presence i would encourage you to fill up on that I want to leave you with these promises that maybe some of you need just to remember as you leave this place today. Philippians four thirteen I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Psalm twelve or excuse me one twenty one one and two I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth Let that sink in. The very one who made heaven and earth is your help. Isaiah forty twenty eight through thirty one. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might. He increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. These are the promises of God for you. We believe these promises are true. And if you are that person who says, I want to believe them, I believe God, I believe God's word, I just, I feel like I'm kind of, I feel like I'm kind of out on the edge here. I'm just, God's doing that for maybe you and maybe for other people, but I'm just not sure he's doing that for me. I just, I just feel so tired and empty. Can I remind you that emptiness is an invitation it is not a sentence. It is an invitation to grow. You're empty at work. Find a new job. You're empty in your career. Christina, find a new career. You're empty at home. Why are you empty at home would be one of my questions. That should be a place of empowering. Why are you empty at home? If you're like us, sometimes our emptiness does come at home because we don't create enough margin for rest. Maybe we need to work on that. Emptiness or weakness is an invitation to be empowered by Christ himself. He says, I'm here with you. I'm here for you. He knows what you're going going through. If you think, "Oh, how can he know what I'm going through?" Well, you can remember that in the garden of Gethsemane, he fell on his face feeling sorrowful unto death. He knows what you're going through and he's with you and he wants to empower you. Pray with me, Father. God, I know this is a challenge for us. The very reality of emptiness sometimes makes it feel like we absolutely have nothing to offer nothing to receive our hope is just dashed against the rocks and yet you have said i am coming i am your help i am coming i am with you i am coming i will empower you and for some of us we need to echo the same prayer that paul did and we simply need to say you know what? It is in my weakness that I'm made strong. I need to stop relying on myself and just allow God to work. I pray for those in this room who feel absolutely powerless today. God, I don't know what you, I don't know what it will take for them to understand that the divine nature is given to us from you. I don't know what it's going to take for us to to understand that what was corrupted is being made incorruptible again. And that you literally had to leave this place so that the helper, the Holy Spirit, could come and dwell within us. So that we today, if we call him our Lord and Savior, we are the temple of of the Holy Spirit today. Our very bodies are. Let us be empowered and strengthened as we go out of this place. Let Let us empower and strengthen others around us as we reveal to them that the source of our own strength is you, not us. Not our ability to learn. Not our ability to be competent. Not our ability to learn uh, to, to do things better than other people. But instead, we are strong because of you and because we know what our future is. I thank you for that gift. I thank you that you're sharing your glory with us. We are undeserving of it. And yet you have chosen to share it with us. Father, help us to follow you in such a way that we see you working, we believe your promises, and we know that you are here with us and for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.